The Favorites Podcast is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. I bet with FanDuel because they've got great odds and markets for the NBA, NHL, MLB, and the PGA Tour with an app that's easy to use, safe, and secure. So if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now and sign up with promo code FAVORITES so they know I sent you. Must be 21 or older and present in select states only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-HOPE-NY or text hope ny. 467369 in New York. Tennessee Redline is 1 800 889 9789. 1 800 522 4700 in Wyoming or visit 1 800gambler.net in West Virginia. Welcome to the Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman, Chief Content Officer of the Action Network. It's U.S. Open week. Obviously, a lot of conversations happening in Brookline where the U.S. Open is being held for the first time in a quarter century. Live Golf started last week. We're going to have Jason Sobel come on. He's at Brookline. He's going to talk about handicapping the U.S. Open. He's going to talk about the scuttlebutt on the tour, generally about Live Golf, uh, how players are reacting to it, our personal interpretations of everything. Before we get to that, my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, Simon Hunter. Hello, Simon. Chad, what's going on, brother? Dude, you and I were together on Friday night. Facts. You picked me up in your slamming convertible Beamer in front of my hotel, and we've made our way out to Citizens Bank Ballpark to watch the Phillies. And my God, it was, it couldn't have been a more perfect night. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect weather. Good fan base, a lot of fans. They're not a rowdy fan base either. No, we never felt threatened. You know, we got a bad rap here in Philadelphia. Chad and I both wore neutral colors. No one said a word to us the whole yeah. time we were there. I was surprised. I was surprised at how many people were there. I mean, the stadium was pretty packed, actually. Yeah. And um, but it was a great night. We had ridiculously good seats, fourth row behind uh along the first baseline just beyond the extension of the Phillies dugout I believe we had three guys sitting behind us so if anyone's ever seen the movie Slapshot and you know the triplets in that movie the three triplets that's literally what was sitting right behind me and Chad the entire game it was great these guys are a fucking disgrace these were the hardest core Philly fans you could imagine like guys have not missed a game ever someone walked someone get walked and the guy goes Remember Barry Bonds used to walk a lot? Barry Bonds. Can you imagine Barry Bonds in this lineup? And they would just go on a 30-minute <laughs> combo about stuff like that. It was truly incredible how these guys were just flowing. They were they were such home. It was like Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's starting to get warm. He's getting really yeah. warm summer months. He's really starting to do well. You know, they were talking about how they were freezing for opening night, like for Charlie Manuel's first game in his run as the Phillies yeah. manager. It was fantastic. You and I got to hang. I got to eat some ice cream in a helmet. You bought some peanuts. We had a hot dog. And then there was one particular moment. I went to get some ice cream. We each had a beer at that point. You wanted another beer. Went to get some ice cream and a beer. 
And what happened to the woman behind the counter? What, what, what did she say? Yeah, even though I had a full beard, this woman didn't believe me about my age. So she asked me for an ID. I, of course, didn't bring it in. I left it in my car because I'm an idiot. Chad stepped up. He said, I have my ID on me. I said, I said, listen, he's not getting the beer. The beer's for me. And she goes, I don't need your ID, honey. You're too sexy. <laughs> That's, and I honestly was taken back when she said it. I was like, what? What did she just say? Yeah. But she gave this little smirk and look at Chad and Chad. Wow. I haven't yeah. seen Chad get that red in a long yeah. time. I don't think it's because I'm, you know, pulling a poly walnuts and the side of my head is all gray. I think it's truly, she's like, I'm serious. You're too sexy. I don't need your ID. I brought that home with me. I told Stacy, I told the boys uh, just to remind them that when I go out and I'm at a Phillies game, senior beer vendors who think I'm a little bit sexy. I thought you were going to say, when I go out and I go to baseball games, I don't drink beer. I go and get ice cream out of an house. <laughs> That would not surprise them, no. by the way. I was not surprised all. when it was happening, Chad. I'll be honest. I was like, this is right on course with who I think Chad is. I'm, I was completely on brand. And You're I like, bought some wanna... nuts because I knew Chad would love them. Chad was just going all in on those peanuts. It was, it was I, I went time. all on the peanuts and you actually said, should we go get another beer? I'm like, I can get some ice cream. <laughs> great night. Great to great hang night. with you. Philly's a great town. I freaking love Philly. You saw the best part, though, top down in 80 degree weather driving around the city of Philadelphia. It's a beautiful city. But yeah, it's as people know, there's definitely sketchy parts. But Center City can't beat it. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful city, especially the old with the new mixed together. Yeah. It's just really pretty. Love it. Love it. All right, Simon, uh, let's bring our friend uh, Jason Sobel in from Brookline, Mass. Uh, and we'll preview the U.S. Open. Four. All right, let's bring in Jason Sobel live on the scene from Brookline, Massachusetts for the U.S. Open. First time in Brookline since 1988, Jason Sobel. And before we get to breaking down the course, breaking down the players, uh, long shots, top fives, top tens, et cetera, let's talk about Liv versus PGA, Phil Mickelson, another sort of shameful... <laughs> press conference yesterday yeah. uh what's your take on what's happening what's it like on the ground so hello chad hello simon thanks for having me on as always and boy there's a lot of moving parts to this and, and let me let me fill in those who aren't really sure what's going on in golf right now with a little bit of a primer essentially the pga tour has been the biggest game in town for oh 60 years or so and the best players in the world play the pga tour they get paid lots of money based on how they play and we all know how it works uh, the, the Saudi Arabian government, through the Public Investment Fund, uh, has started a golf league called Live Golf, and they have gone after a lot of players. And instead of just earning money, and yes, they can still earn a lot of money for what they actually make in a tournament, uh, they're giving them these wild, uh, essentially, signing bonuses. And so you probably heard Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, and now Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed are, are going over to Live Golf, and there's going to be a huge fracture within the golf community of PGA tour players and live golfers. And so uh, the reason this is so polarizing is if live golf had come around and said, Hey, we're going to have a league. It's going to be based in Saudi Arabia. They, they play more events in the United States than anywhere else that they just had an event in London to kick things off. Uh, we're going to have this league. It's going to be a rival league to the PGA tour. And we're going to run it just like the PGA tour with the same monetary prizes, monetary values, 
all these players would say, no, thanks. I already play on a league that does that. Why, why would I want that? I'm perfectly happy with the PGA Tour. If Live Golf was, let's say, uh, run through Canada, let's say a billionaire in the maple syrup industry said, hey, we'd like to give you millions and millions of dollars to come play. There wouldn't be a whole lot of controversy because, I don't know, everyone kind of likes maple syrup. And that would be, you know, that, that seems like a good alternative to say, hey, I'm just going to go chase the money. We all, we've all got a price. We're going to go play. The reason this is so polarizing is because it is essentially sports washing at its finest, which is uh, the Saudi Arabian government trying to change the perception and the feel globally of what their country, what their government has, has done as far as human rights um, and, and trying to change their image. And they're trying to change it through sport and they're trying to change it through golf. And we'll see if it works. And, and you know, this is not going to be something that happens tomorrow. It's not going to be something that happens next week. It might be something that happens 30 years down the line when our kids are grown and they look at Saudi Arabia and they say, oh, I don't remember that nefarious human rights stuff. All I know is they play golf over there and it seems like a nice place. We can go visit. And so that essentially is, I think, the long-term plan of what they're trying to do. And they're using guys like Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson essentially as pawns. And they're paying them big time money to come over and play. And I think a lot of this is just a hunt for them. It's about the game. It's about the challenge. How can we disrupt the business? And, and what number can we put out there to get these guys to come play for us? So, look, at the end of the day, it's blood money. And the players are taking it. And I would have more respect for the players who are taking it. Well, I don't have any respect for the players who are taking it, but I would at least be sort of more accepting if when they were in these press conferences, they just said, yeah, I know what's going on. I've decided to take the money. It's a lot of money. I can't turn it down. I believe in feeding my family and generational wealth and all the things that come with it. And that's what it's going to be. If you don't like it, fine. But they're trying to have it both ways here in which they want to take the money yet maintain pristine reputations or say that they're doing it for the betterment of the game or to expand golf globally. And they sound like fucking idiots. They sound worse than just saying, they sound worse than just saying, yeah, I'm taking the money and that's what I'm doing. I've heard that from a lot of people, and I understand that. I don't necessarily disagree with it. Although, in that press conference on Monday, a very awkward press conference with Phil Mickelson, if he was being asked about 9-11, he's being asked about being in bed with the Saudis and becoming partners with them, if Phil stood up in front of everyone and said, I don't care, man, I'm getting paid. I got dollar bills. Look at how much they're paying me. This is awesome, man. Doesn't that sound a whole lot worse than what he said? Well, Yes and no, because the truth is the people who are going to like Phil are going to like him no matter what. There's a certain group of people who will root for him and not care and not have moral issues with what he's doing with Live Golf or Dustin Johnson or anybody else. Sure. But what he's trying to do is sort of hang on to the people who do care. And the truth is he can't have it both ways here. And he doesn't need to have it both ways because he's getting paid $200 million to go do it. It's why he doesn't have any sponsors on any of his um, on any of his clothes or anything else right now for this. So just fucking own it, man. That's all that, to me. That's what it is. Like, I think it's good for, for golf. The- I'm like looking at it from a standpoint of I look at it as 
does do guys really move the needle in golf? I know we're acting like these are superstars leaving your guys' sport, but it's Tiger Woods and everyone else. It's like I, I just don't remember people being like, "You got to tune in this week," and Mickelson's playing in the the Open or whatever it what? is. I'm telling you, it's like maybe they like Rory McIlroy. It's just there's just all these other players. They're all kind of the same level where it's like. I don't really kill that. I don't care that Phil's not playing. I I'm still watching golf regardless if Phil Mickelson's in a tournament. So to me, I like it. It's like, okay, there's certain guys who play golf that we know they don't really like golf or they don't really care about golf. They don't care about the tournaments. Great. Go let them play and live. I like it. I like that. This is kind of made this thing where it's like, I don't know if to me, if the, the media drops it, like if they stop bringing it up at these PGA tours, what do you think about live all these other things? I see this going away pretty quick because to me it's all about the tournaments like the four majors that's what we care about like i care about the big four they don't have that with this live tournament so yeah maybe down the road they might have some traction but for right now nothing's changed for me i still i just care about the pga well at some point simon we're gonna stop stop talking about it as much as we are it's still very new and it's still very much in the news right now of course uh what i've heard from a lot of people it's because sort of what you're saying is hey quantity is better we could have choices we have options we have two great golf tours to watch instead of one my response to that is this is not like other industries this is not like hey we've got one fast food restaurant in our town it's a mcdonald's and so we always eat at mcdonald's even though it's dirty and the food's not good (laughs) and now burger king's coming in and boy burger king looks pretty good so now mcdonald's is gonna have to clean up their act just so they keep their business it's good for the business and it's great for consumers I don't think it works that way in sports leagues. If the NFL was to say, hey, we're going to break up into 10 little NFL leagues all over the place, the competition would be diluted. And I think that's what happens now. It in fails golf. every yes. time. I'm telling You're you, right. history history repeats itself. The NFL, they've tried to do this how many years, Chad? Has the NFL been trying to get a second league? It just does not work. And even when they would poach players back in the day, it just, it just doesn't work. Here's the difference, though. The difference is whether it's XFL or USFL in that realm, they're trying to make money. They're trying to turn a profit. They're trying to have a league that's a viable league. The Saudi Arabian government, they don't care. It's not <laughs> on TV. They're like, eh, whatever, you can you can watch online if you want, but we don't really care if you do or not. It, it's, it's not supposed to be a viable league. They're playing 54 holes. They're admitting right. like, this is not real golf. We're just, we're going to pay guys and, you know, we're going to see what, what it takes, however, $100 million to, to pay these guys and have them come play. And we don't really care if you watch. We don't care if we turn a profit. We don't care about anything other than 20, 30 years down the line, having some golf courses here and having people change their mind about what the government is. So I think that's what a lot of people are having a hard time sort of wrapping their minds around is that this is unlike anything we've seen before because the, the usual variables here aren't in play. And, and that's what makes it so dangerous is that they've got unlimited funds. They can... They can essentially throw out any number they want to any player out there and they, they can get these guys. And it's really, it's, it's not golf. It's the ice capades. It's, Hey, we're going to, we're going to get the world's best golfers and we're going to pay them and they're going to go play around the world. And yeah, they're kind of, they're competing against each other, but it doesn't really matter. Win or lose. You're all still getting paid anyway. Well, look, you're right. Uh, It's very insidious because it is sort of a little bit akin to politics in the United States, where you can be on one side of the aisle or the other, but oftentimes politicians are playing the long game 
And there's a lot of parallels to what the Saudis are doing. They know what it looks like today. These players are getting used. They're lining their pockets. They don't give a fuck. The Saudis don't give a fuck. In 30 years, Jason, you know, 30 years, you know, I'll be really fucking old. You won't be as old as me. Simon will still be 15 years old. But, um, you know, the truth is you're right. Like, people won't care. My younger cut's 15 right now. He doesn't care about the PGA. He doesn't care about golf, doesn't care about live golf. And in 30 years, he won't know what this was and probably won't care. Meanwhile, and and some aspects of this are not absolutely horrible. I mean, if we want to call it what it is, 48 man fields with shotgun starts. I don't like it for the final round, but for the first two rounds, I was watching it when it kicked off last Thursday, guys. And it was kind of cool. It kicked off 9.15 a.m. Eastern time. And all of a sudden, within 10 minutes, they're doing camera cuts all over the golf course because every player is playing rather than easing their way into the morning like the PGA Tour. I'm like, I kind of don't hate this. I I don't love it for the final round. I don't want to see a guy winning a golf tournament on the sixth hole or something like that. But I think for the first couple of rounds, I mean, like I said, it's not on TV. It's only streaming online. That's not bad. The broadcast wasn't terrible. All right. Well, let's talk about what's actually happening on the course this week. Like we said, you're at Brookline. It's the U.S. Open. First time at Brookline since 1988. You had a column on actionnetwork.com, your preview of the U.S. Open that went up yesterday. Reminder, everyone can listen to Links and Locks, uh, the podcast from the Action Network. They can watch the gimme to get into even more detail on the U.S. Open. But back at Brookline, tell us a little bit about the course. Uh, This course, I took a spin around here yesterday. We're talking on Tuesday now, Monday kind of a little spin around the golf course. It looks awesome. It is in such good shape right now. It is going to be fast, fiery. It's going to get a little baked out. It's going to get a little crusty this weekend. Uh, oh, excuse me. Hopefully the, uh, the temperatures remain hot. There's a little wind coming through here. That's perfect for a U.S. Open. A lot of, a lot of false fronts on these greens where it, it, you'll see some shots that look like a good shot. Approach into the green, lands 10 feet below the hole. You're like, oh. That's good. He's got a birdie butt. And all of a sudden, that ball just starts to move just a little bit and then a little more. And then it starts rolling. Next thing you know, you've got a 60-yard pitch shot straight back up the hill from where you started. You're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see guys slamming their clubs down and muttering to themselves and really frustrated with what they think is a good shot that winds up being really poor and really penalizing. So in the in the story you wrote um... – this week, you talked about how the evolution of champions at the U.S. Open has changed over the years. Uh, explain what you what you described there. So it used to be the major championship for the little guys: Corey Pavin, Lee Jansen, Jim Furyk, Graham McDowell—all guys who didn't hit it 330 yards off the tee. weren't big, strong guys, but they would keep it out of the rough. They would essentially keep it in the fairway, hit the greens, make a lot of pars, don't make too many mistakes. What's happened in the last six years, and you, you look at the five champions over six years, Brooks Koepka's won twice, Dustin Johnson, Gary Woodland, Bryson DeChambeau, and John Rahm last year. It's like the golf's version of a, an arm wrestling team. I mean, these are all big, strong, athletic-looking dudes. I, I won't give you the Brooks Koepka looks like a linebacker line, because that's not quite true, but they all look like they could be at least maybe like a third baseman in Major League Baseball. I mean, they're all big, strong dudes, athletic guys. And so the reason for that is essentially 
Every year, the U.S. Open starts narrowing and narrowing and narrowing more the fairways. So what's going to happen is not only the accurate guy, not only the long hitters are going to miss fairways, the, the guys who are used to hitting a lot of fairways, they're going to miss too. Now, you'd rather be 320 yards off the tee than 280 if you're going to miss a fairway. And the bigger advantage, even more so than that, is these big, strong guys can get it out of the rough, muscle it onto the greens, whereas a guy who's 5'6", 130, he can't even, he's going to have to pitch it out and he doesn't have the strength, the muscle to get it up there. And so that's where the major advantage is for these guys. Now, it looks like the fairways here this week at the country club are a little bit wider, a little bit more generous. The rough is, it's thick, but it's not as long as we've seen in recent years. So I do have at least some hope that some of these shorter hitters, and I have a handful of them up on top of my list, I, I think they have a chance of contending and even winning this week. And Quite frankly, guys, there are no short hitters in the game anymore anyway. You're either long, you're either really long or you're long enough. If you're short, you're just, you don't play. You're not a professional golfer. You, you can't exist in this world anymore. And so um, even the guys that we look at and say, they're kind of short. Jordan Spieth is a quote unquote short hitter. I believe he's averaging right around the same number off the tee as Tony Finau this year. And you look at Tony Finau and you go, oh, big, strong dude. He hits it a mile. Yeah, he, it, I mean, if they want to get into a driving distance contest, I'll take Tony all day against Jordan, but Jordan's speed certainly hits it long enough. A lot of these guys, they hit it long enough to at least com compete and contend on a golf course like this one. When you're looking at bet the open, how is this one different than all the other major tournaments? I I'm looking at guys. I, I look more, Simon, at the personality of players for this event than at other ones because I, I think you need to have – a little bit of patience. I think you need to be a guy that's not necessarily ill-tempered. You know, a a guy like uh, Tyrrell Hatton. We've seen him over the years. I mean, he, he was playing the RBC Canadian Open last week, which was a pretty gettable golf course. And he's slamming clubs and he's cursing and he's getting all thrown out of whack. I mean, if if that's getting a guy like that um, that upset about the golf course and the conditions and the setup and all that kind of stuff, he, he's going to have no chance at the U.S. Open. That's it. John Rahm is a – he runs pretty hot. He's a pretty hot-tempered type of dude. He won last year. So I don't know if it necessarily means just the patient guys still, but I'm looking at guys who, you know what, you're going to make bogeys on this golf course. You make a bogey, you walk off, you go to the next hole. You don't have to necessarily take it with you to the next hole. So I'm looking more at personality. The things that won't show up in a model. We're always looking at statistics and analytical models these days. And, look, I, I look at it as much as – anybody out there but i'm also looking at what i know about a player and his personality and his reputation this week as well the nba finals are here and so is your chance to score big on fanduel sportsbook throughout the nba finals fanduel is giving new customers 200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first five dollar bet bet the money line point spreads player props and so much more plus you can combine your bets for an even bigger payday with a same game parlay. But for me, my favorite bet for the NBA Finals is still Steph Curry to win Finals MVP. Just sign up with promo code favorites. If you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot because the only thing sweeter than watching the finals is cashing in on all the action. Join today with promo code favorites and turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose. Make every game feel like Game 7 with FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. You must be 21 or older and in select states. First online real money wager of at least $5. 
$10. First deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expires 14 days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Call the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. All right, so I want to go backwards. I don't want to start with mm-hmm. the outright. I don't want to start with the long shot. Mm-hmm. Let's start with let's start with top tens, who you're seeing, best odds, best value for top 10 right now. Okay. Uh, I mentioned Tony Finau's name a minute ago. Tony Finau won the Northern Trust last year, uh, back in August, when 16 starts without a top five afterwards. Looked like it was. Now, hey, now he's got momentum. We've been waiting for Tony to become a superstar. Didn't happen afterwards, but in his last five starts, he's got three top five finishes, including a runner to Rory McIlroy this past weekend. I, I like Tony a lot for a U.S. Open type of setup. He's got the right attitude, like I was just saying. I, I think he's a good play. Max Homa is a guy who hasn't played majors well in the past, but he's he's literally getting better every single week, and you can tell the confidence on his face. Like. This is a guy that's improving right before our eyes. He won the Wells Fargo Championship about a month ago, and I think there's a nice little correlation. That was a tough Northeast golf course. Uh, I think you can look at that one and say, I think some players from that leaderboard will show up on this one. Max Homa is a guy who was 13th at the PGA Championship last month. That's his best career major finish. I I like him a few notches higher for a top 10 this week, and then Matt Fitzpatrick is a great play this week. Matt Fitzpatrick won the 2013 U.S. Amateur right here at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Plays his best golf on tougher golf courses when the winning score is closer in relation to par. And oh, by the way, he's number two. He was number one for most of the season in total strokes gained on the PGA Tour. Rory McIlroy just went past him this past weekend, but he's a close second. Essentially, that measures who's playing the best golf. I know Fitzpatrick hasn't won anything this season, but he's been very, very good. Uh, just to, to give people some context, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, 25 to one outright about plus two ten, two to one for top 10, Tony Finau, 35 to one plus three twenty for top 10, uh, Max Homa, 45 to one plus four twenty for top 10. Simon, I want you to follow up in a second, but I do have one more question. Everything I've read this week, everyone keeps talking about Max Homa. Why are Max Homa's odds so long if everyone seems to like him so much? Twitter. Yeah, there are a lot of people. Look, a lot of people are blinded by what's right in front of them. A lot of people look at social media. Look, I'm out here all the time. I'm talking to players. I'm around the game. I see things that other people aren't necessarily seeing. When you're sitting at home and you're trying to figure out who's going to win the golf tournament, you're like, Hey, let's go on Twitter and let's click around. You're like, Ooh, there he is again. It's just, it's front and center in your mind. That said, he is a, a very good player. Yes. He's a very popular pick. Look, Fitzpatrick is going to be an extremely popular pick this week as well. But um, these are, these are the guys that I think should play well. Their, their game should suit this golf course this week. 
I know Chad wanted to hold off on it, but I got to hear him. Long shots. Give it to me. I know he wants to do favorite picks, but I want to hear the long shots. I love the long shots. All right, so what kind of long shots do you want? Are we talking like super random dudes for top 40s, or you're talking like, hey, a guy with a big number that has a chance of winning? Big number chance of winning, always. Okay. I'm going to start it off with I, – I, I told you guys I, I took a little spin around this golf course yesterday. I'm trying to find like a great comparison golf course, excuse me, to, to what this looks like. And the best I can come up with is Marion. Marion Golf Club, a, a famous course. Ben Hogan's one iron. We all know the story. Last held the U.S. Open in 2013. The guy who won that week just happened to shoot 60 a couple days ago. Probably should have shot a 57. He made three bogeys and shot 60 in Canada. That's Justin Rose. The number has moved. I, I think you could have gotten him before that 60 at right around 80 or maybe even 100 to 1 in some books. I think Rose is down to 65 to 1 in a lot of places right now. I still like the number. I still think there's some win equity there. He's playing some very good golf. Yeah, he's not the same player in his prime as he was at Marion uh, back nine years ago, but I, I do think he can go out and still win this golf tournament. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned guys like Spieth. You mentioned guys like Justin Rose. I feel like their moment came and went so quickly, you know, like you just sort of think, okay, he's in his prime as a golfer. He should get a good six, seven, eight, nine years in that prime, given sort of how your game evolves, how sometimes you can get better as you get older. Players are starting to play a little bit earlier. Um, the, the way to stay in shape sort of fitness is, is better uh these guys like it they came and went so quickly some yes some no i mean look justin rose has been out there for 20 years doing this and he's still a very good player i mean he's still a guy who on, on any given week shoots 60 in a final round i mean he's still still good he's not gonna do it every single week i think it's a combination of look you do it for a long time you just get injured you kind of lose maybe a little desire and motivation for especially at non-major championships some of these guys, I mean, you mentioned Jordan Speed. He's still very much in his prime. He's still one of the top 10 golfers in the world, and I like him this week as well. Uh, then you look at, uh, look how many good young players there are. I mean, we were just talking a few years ago about, hey, Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland, they're going to be really good. Those guys have been top five players in the game, and now they're getting pushed by the Will Zalatoris' and Cameron Young and Mito Pereira and Davis Riley, and there's more and more coming up on a regular basis. So, it's really hard to be a 38, 39, 40-year-old golfer and try to compete with these kids who are 22 and 23 and, and feel like they're, uh, they've got all the confidence in the world. It goes back to the live golf situation where a lot of these guys who are going over to live, they're late 30s, early 40s, and they see the writing on the wall. And they're saying, look, I'm in the back nine of my career anyway. These kids are pushing me out. I may never win anything of substance again. Why not take my nine-figure payout and go play – 54 whole events and not have to deal with these kids were beating my butt every week. Jordan Spieth, 25 to one, Matthew Fitzpatrick, 25 to one. I mentioned before Colin Morikawa, who you just mentioned 28 to one. All right. We did top 10. Mm -hmm. We're going to do top five. And then Simon is going to ask you for your outrights. After I give everybody the right context for who's got the shortest odds right now, give me your top five. Okay, so guys in the top five that I like now, giving up my my favorite outright play. Look, a couple of them are very chalky. I've got Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy. They're both right at the top of the leaderboard this past weekend. Rory wound up winning. Good for golf, good for the PGA Tour. Everyone celebrates. 
Look, Rory's playing some of the best golf that we've seen him play in an awful long time. We talk about confidence. We talk about let's look beyond the analytical models and let's uh, look at a guy and, and, and understand what we're seeing from him. Rory is absolutely brimming with confidence right now, both on and off the golf course. He is a must-watch golfer on the course. He's a must-watch must watch interview off the golf course. He's just he's firing on all cylinders and all facets of what his job is right now. And so love Rory this week. Love Justin Thomas. I was uh, coming to the course today with a couple of PGA Tour pros who, um, who are working on the radio side, U.S. Open Championship radio with me this week. And they were talking about Justin Thomas, who has every shot in the bag. They said no other player in the world right now can flight the ball however they want, like Justin Thomas. He wants to hit a low cut. He hits a low cut. He wants to hit a high draw, high draw. He can do it from 60 yards. He can do it from 230 yards. He's got this variety of shots that's going to work really well for him. So, again, those aren't names from off the board that you haven't heard. Daniel Berger isn't getting enough love in the marketplace yet this week. Daniel Berger is a guy who – often comes up to New England in the summer. He's sort of this de facto New Englander. Uh, his old pro, Matt Doyle's at the Musquamacut Club in Rhode Island. He goes up there and practices. He's played well at the Travelers Championship just a couple miles, or excuse me, a couple hours down the road in Connecticut. And so I think it's going to be a good week for Berger. I might not have said that a few weeks ago because he was dealing with some injuries, some inconsistencies, but he finished the share of fifth place at the Memorial Tournament. That's a really tough one. This is going to be tough as well. I think his game really suits this golf course. Daniel Berger, eight to one for a top five. Rory, plus 225. Justin Thomas, plus 275. The Travelers, mere minutes from West Hartford. I'll be there in a few days. I know. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Outright winners right now. Rory's at 10 to one and dropping. Justin Thomas, 11 to one. John Rahm, defending, 14 to one. Scotty Scheffler, 14 to one. Cam Smith, 20 to one. Xander Shoffley, 20 to one. Then Cantlay, Patrick Cantlay, 22 to one. Simon, ask your question. Who's your favorite bet? All right. So, first of all, of those names mentioned, Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley, those numbers are very, very intriguing. I think it's going to be a good week for both of them. Cantley has played some of his worst golf in the majors over the last year or so. I think people are going to be scared off. I think that's kept his number from being too short. I think it's a really good number for him. He's better than where he's being priced at. That said, you didn't mention my guy who's a little bit lower down the board. Shane Lowry is playing some of the best golf of his life so far this year. 12 starts in 2022, nothing worse than 35th. And really, it's his all-around game. He's driving it well. The irons are solid. Soft hands around the greens. He makes some putts. He's got the right attitude for a U.S. Open. He was runner-up to Dustin Johnson at Oakmont back in 2016. And and so I I like him. An Irishman in Boston, who would think that that could ever go well? But I I really do think Shane Lowry can uh, can go and, and take this thing this week. Even though he won the Open Championship, a few years ago at Royal Port, which I've always thought he's probably got a better chance of winning a U.S. Open. I think he's a better U.S. Open player than even the Open Championship where he's from. And quite frankly, uh, guys, maybe I'm just rooting for it, not only for my own personal benefit, but that celebration for Shane Lowry here in Boston Sunday night, that could be a pretty damn good party. Shane Lowry currently 30-1 to 1 to win the U.S. Open. Jason Sobel, you're on site at Brookline. You're doing uh, radio for Sirius. 
You'll be reporting for Action Network. Listen to Jason on the Links and Logs podcast. Watch the Gimme on our Golf Bet channel on Twitter. You can also check it out. Various other Action Network platforms. I think they'll do something for John Middlecoff with uh, the volume. It's yeah. true. <laughs> uh, have a great time, Sobel. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. This has been the favorite podcast from the Volume Podcast Network for Simon Hunter, for Matt Mitchell, for Jason Sobel. I am Chad Millman. Download us from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars. Say whatever you want in the feedback. Feedback is a gift. Until next time, love you. Love you.